from the desk below. Sweden or Cali because I understand that you moved to Sweden. Yeah, yeah, I'm in Cali right now. Uh, moved to Sweden in 2003. Okay. Uh, but I always, you know, go back and forth. So I'm out, I'm out here in Cali right now. Okay. Well, um, so this is because uh, I always paid attention to you. Um, I just want to hear from the horse's mouth. Um, is it true that MC Shan was the first person to influence you to make records? Past guest, by the way. Oh man, MC Shan was was totally my inspiration um, because I I was rapping a few years prior to when the bridge came out and um, okay uh, I was already rapping but I was just like writing raps uh, I had a homie named Jay that used to beatbox or I'd be at school beating on the table <laughs> or you know and then. Um, most of the rappers to me were like grown men, like they had beards and stuff. Yeah. You know? Grandmaster Flash, they looked like they were thirty already. <laughs> yeah, and they're like in the late, like early twenties. Right. So I'm, I'm like fifteen, fourteen, fifteen years old, and uh, I hear the bridge. I heard it first, and I was like, "Damn, that dude sound like." He rapping, you know, I, I could re just really relate to it. And then when I saw him, I was like, damn, that's a young dude rapping. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I didn't know he looked like that. <laughs> but even when I first heard the song, I was like, he sounds like what I would say right now about where I'm from. Because that's all I knew. I had never be really been out of Pacoima at the time. So... That was all I really knew, and I was like, that's dope. He made a song about his town, you know. Uh, and I went immediately made a song kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting that you say that MC Shan inspired you, too, being from the West Coast, though, because, like, that that's all the way from New York coming from where you're from, too. But, like, you can see how it resonated within your style as you guys progressed throughout the years, too. Yeah, I mean, during that time... We talking about 1985 here? Yeah, yeah. I wasn't even here yet. Yeah, so uh, wasn't that much West Coast hip hop? Yeah, it was more like it, was, it wasn't like a, even a choice. Like, oh, I'm a, I'm listening to some East Coast rap. No, it was just <laughs> hip hop. It yeah, rap. there, there like, was no East Coast, West Coast, down south trap. Like, um, I, uh, 
With Not a, at all. Whatever you can get your hands on or whatever K-Day was playing, that's what it was. Wow, K-Day. K-Day's still going to this day. Yeah, it ain't the same as it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, we're living in a different era, but, you know, they broke a lot of records. I used to get mixtapes from back east. Okay. Uh, like the know, DJ Clue? We're talking like the Red Alerts. Yeah, yeah, like Red Alert, oh, like uh, Chuck Chill Out and them and stuff like that. Uh, we used to get mixtapes from back there. Do you still w- have w- some of those mixtapes? No. Oh, I was going to say, I mean, we're quite a bit right now. You may want to keep those. <laughs> I know I had this one metal tape. It was 120 minutes. It had all the, and this was like 1985. 1984, 85, okay. 120 minutes, live, uh, what was the show? It was, um, um, yeah, Mr. Magic. Okay, okay, yeah. wow, and it was live too, jeez. Well, it was, the uh, radio, you know, somebody taped the radio. Yeah, like yeah, how, how they used to back in the day, I remember doing that. Two hours of just straight up, you know, it's crazy, Do, so. Um, because, like, I'm from the era, too, from VCRs, too. Do you remember hooking two VCs up to up to each other and then retaping a, another video to the other blank videotape, too? Well, I used to do that with cassette tapes. Okay, okay. So that's how I, that's how I would uh, record my first demos. I would get a, a cassette deck with two tapes. Okay. And I would, I would loop a beat. And just keep it going. Yep, I would loop a beat and just keep recording that part that I like to where it's smooth, it's not offbeat and all that. And then I would take that tape get into another radio, play that beat and rap back into that radio. And that would be my song, you know. I would even sometimes do it again to another cassette and do background vocals. Okay. <laughs> like the so, original, so okay. After that, it was all, you couldn't do more because it would just sound bad. Wow, that's crazy to see how fast technology evolved from back then until now. Because most time people could just hook up the laptop, mic there, there you go, right there. Yeah, my next step was a was a uh, four track recorder. Okay, I thought I was in the game. Like, oh, <laughs> because um, you come from the days where. You guys actually had to use analog with production and things like that back in the day, too, where, like, you had to come prepared. There was no, like, yeah, I'm going to mess around and things like that. It's like, you got to come and work for this right here. Yeah, we had, you're right, absolutely. We had four, say we had four hours in the studio, that was it. You had, you had the later track, which took, like, 30 minutes in itself. What about you? Well, like, did you really nail it the first time, or like, are you a perfectionist? Like, you know what? I just kind of want to do it one more time. Well, especially back then, uh, I had books of raps, you know. Okay, uh, okay. Or whatever song we were doing, we already either either we had already recorded it at home, or I, I was ready, you know, I was ready, like. A lot of times I would like have it memorized, or if I didn't, I knew I knew the rap already what I was doing. So that part didn't take long. It was just like more like you said, analog. You had to lay the track, and we had to cut something. We'd go for lunch while the 
producing, and making the edits. Doing the cuts, and we come back, okay, it's ready. Like, you know, so it was a different process. But the actual doing the lyrics was, was not taking up much time. <laughs> okay. Um, so I was curious, too, like, um, you had been around, like, people like Wu-Tang, like, before, like, they were Wu-Tang, and, like, I'm just curious, like, because um, you appeared on Master Ace's Disposable Arts, class out, by the way. Um, right, right. During Ace, that, what up, Ace? <laughs> guest, by the way, too, so salute, Ace. Um, so I was curious, um, during that time, you were on this flag team, football team, when you were around my age. <laughs> well, it wasn't uh, exactly that. I was, uh, this was, you know, in the early 90s. Okay. Uh, I was out in New York, and he let me play on his team. He's like, I got a game. Okay. Once you got, wants you to come out, you know. So I came out to Brooklyn. We rolled out to New Jersey. It was freezing cold, man, like <laughs> ice. And yeah, and I got to run back and kick, uh, play some defense, you know. So it was nice, man. It was, it was good. I was like an honorary member of the team. Yeah. <laughs> was that your very first time meeting the Master Ace, or you met him like prior before that? Yeah, before that, we're, we're, you know, we've been good friends, man, for many years, man. Big up, Master Ace, long live the Master Ace, man. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just crazy because we're the, we're the Liquid crew. Um, I got to put it out there. I came up with the name Liquid. Okay. King T, for sure. King, originator of the Liquid crew. But, um... I've just played on words and just said we did licks, liquid, and um, our favorite crew was the Juice Crew. Okay. Even before we ever met them and everything. So, going back to MC Shan again. You know? <laughs> yeah. But but they we we knew there was power in numbers. When King T, when I was his hype man, we had the King T posse. So we always knew that. So I was like, we need a bigger crew than just us. Um, so it was like, we're the West Coast Juice Crew. Oh, I like how you said that. I, oh. I can uh, pay, uh, compare us to. So, you know, Master Ace, you know, just embraced me when I came back east. I, I was living out there for a while in uh, Harlem. And, and uh, uh, yeah, man, him and uh, Lord Digger and the whole crew. And this the is <laughs> And this is like the day before the internet too. So I was curious yeah. on like what would have been all on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Out there looking like a fool running in this ice. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was that like meeting somebody who you listened to and they and then after like a couple of years you actually got to meet him and then acknowledge you? Like what was that feeling like, J Ro? I mean you know, they always say, don't meet your heroes, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's always like a give and take thing. But when you meet somebody that you, you know, that set you on a path at some time and you meet them and they're good people, that's just a, a double blessing, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's just how I feel with that that situation. So it really solidified the fact that we made the right choice. <laughs> <laughs> On who you looked up to because um, I always uh, – um, somebody once told me that um, when you meet your idol, like, they, you know everything about them, but you're just a stranger to them. Right, right. 
So, so like, I mean, I mean, Craig G is a good friend of mine. I I brought him out to Sweden. Um, uh, Roxanne Chante, beautiful, beautiful soul, man. You know, um, Molly Moore, one of the coolest dudes ever. You ooh, know, so one of the legendary producers ever. I, yeah, absolutely. So he, you know, they 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 have some good going on, man. So. Um, speaking of Ken T too, I believe um, that was the first time I ever seen what you guys looked like because you guys are actually in the booklet for his uh, Trifflin album. Yeah. Um, so I was curious, like, what was that day like too, like for because I understand you guys, he he was the original, he found you guys. Would you say? Yeah, I mean he he created us. Okay. <laughs> so he knew you all individually before. <laughs> we didn't exist before him, you know. Um, no, really. He, uh, I mean, I, I, our, our, our parents grew up together. Oh, you know? really? We, we known each other since we were kids, and uh, he was my DJ at one time. Okay. Wow. He was, he was just a DJ. He wasn't even rapping. He was DJing. We started making songs on the four track. Uh, Ice T heard him. Pooh, oh, DJ wow. Pooh, uh, took him to Ice T. He loved his voice, and it was just over from there. <laughs> and I ended up being—he went from being my DJ to me being his hype man. <laughs> That's crazy. Did you go by J Roll back then too? Yeah, I was Hitman J Roll. Okay, so throughout uh, time you just dropped the Hitman part. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's a song called uh, "Better Bring a Gun" with Mixmaster Spade. That was the first time my name was on the record. Uh, I'm on the credits, Compton Posse, the whole thing. Man, that must have um, a good feel too. Yeah, man, that was, was incredible. But um, you know, he started doing his thing. I was in school still. I was an athlete, so I went back to school. And when I got out, he was really doing it. And he said, you know, I want to go on tour. And that's around the time that I met Swift and Tash, and I introduced them in, and he gave us the name The Alcoholics. And it's, we just rolled from there, man. Man, that it, it happened like bang, 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 bang. Like, I got these two dope dudes. He's like, bring them in, boom. Oh, y'all got to be called The Alcoholics. <laughs> it's crazy just from, like, one idea or, like, just from two people meeting throughout time to create something that will last forever because, uh, one of my favorite albums is uh, Coast to Coast, and oh my god, man, I, I'm telling you, when I hear the W-L-I-X intro, woo, man, I lose my mind every time, it was like the first time I hear it. Can you take me back <laughs> to the day you guys shot that album cover? Oh, yeah, I remember. Crazy uh, photographer made us jump in the pool. <laughs> Peace to Mona Lisa for letting us use her pool. Uh, yeah, it was it was fun though. It was we we knew we were out there to have fun, so we was like we gotta we gotta put it out there that we're out here having fun and we're willing to do anything, even jump in the pool with our clothes on <laughs> for hip hop, you know. And um, would you say too, like you guys nailed that on the first shot because like this is like in the 90s too because nowadays like you can just do this on the computer I can only imagine the editing part for these photos 
No, it's probably like ten thousand shots. Okay, okay. <laughs> we had to pick, <laughs> go pick through the booklet. You know, you pick through it with the little eye thing. Yeah. yeah, this one's good. Yeah, that's one. We mark like ten of them. We break it down to one. You know. Okay. So, uh, not not us couples did the album cover, the graphics, famous, uh, super duper famous skateboard legend. Um, did did the cover the. The artwork and the graphics. Now, uh, do you have a particular standout moment from recording those out uh, that album too? Because that album was recorded in sessions, from what I know. Um, that Coast to Coast was like, yeah, it was all brand new music. Because the first album was kind of like songs, <clears throat> songs that we had already. I would say half of the ten songs on that album were. Uh, Already out? Not already out, but we had already done them. Okay. We, done, we, we just went in and did them over, you know, revamped them. But um, what do you call it? Uh, Coast to Coast was like, you know, we're going to do start fresh. Uh, you know, and just show the people what, what we're working with now. So, for instance, like, Make Room was a solo song I had that was probably, like, two or three years old. Oh, really? I really didn't want to release that as the first single. Like, what do y'all, that song is so old. Oh. <laughs> this is why I love when artists do interviews, because we, we don't get to know these kinds. And that's crazy that it was a solo record for me. Yeah, so uh, Tash put a verse on it. Uh, Mary Jane was a solo record. Okay. Uh, yeah. Only drunk. Um, yeah. Now, when you say solo record, did you have to like cut your verse out, or was just like one verse from you? We just added Tash's verse. That's why usually I would have two verses on the song. Oh, okay. Because like sometimes, like when people when they get introduced to the alcoholics too, they're like, "Well, why does Jay have two verses sometimes too?" It's like, "Well, now y'all know why." Right. Right. So that was, you know, Tash had moved back home to Ohio at the time, and I was just, like, doing solo records with Swift. And then when, when King T said, you know, I need y'all, flew him back out here and uh, just finished the album with him on it. That's why I, don't, you, I got it bad. It's just me and E. Swift. Okay. It was like my song featuring E. Swift and King T. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I understand, too, like, you've been on a lot of tours, too. Like, even your first tour with Dayla, so you guys were in a Cadillac now. Um, what was, like, some of the craziest tour after parties that you guys ever got to experience? Or oh, it wasn't really like that when it was tour, and it was like, do the show and go home. I mean, go to the next city, sorry. Yeah, we used to hang out. I mean, we, we was hanging out more with De La Soul. Uh, tribe was so huge at the time. It was just like, you know, you didn't really see Tip or um, Fife was really, you know, never come out the room. You know, rest in <laughs> peace Fife, you know. Yeah, rest in peace of God, Fife. Hey, they all embraced us. They showed us how to do it. Uh, they ain't no punks. <laughs> <laughs> There ain't no punks, you know, I've told this story on, on Vlad, I think, about, you know, but, you know, they showed us how to really do it, how to be gentlemen on tour and uh, be professionals, you know, and get out there rocking while you're on stage. Make sure you prepare for the stage. 
I just want you to know I got like two percent. Okay. I'm I'm about to go help my man Montage One uh, move. He's moving today, so okay. Uh, you know, us liquid dudes, we look out for each other. <laughs> All right. Well, um, is the one. And happy birthday to King T. Yesterday was his birthday, by the way. Happy birthday to my brother King T. Man. Oh man, happy birthday to the god King T right there. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Okay, so I want um, I'll ask you two more questions, Jay Row, and then I'll let you go right okay. there. Um, yeah, yeah, good. Um, so, as we talked about before, with you into containers now, like with these building containers and you can build them into bars and living spaces now, who put you on to that? Because that's so, like, we need that over here in Canada. Y'all got it. But it, it's, um, I would say about 20 years ago, I saw it for the first time over in, uh, over in Europe. I saw a, a construction site. And they brought the workers into the construction site, and they put stacked these containers up that had windows in them. I'm like, wow! So they lived they lived on site while they were doing the building. After they just moved them out. Okay. So that was my first time really seeing it. Uh, but when I came back to Cali this time, I started really getting into like alternative living, like. Uh, and I saw that people were doing it, so I just started getting interested in it. You know, I'm I'm not the first one to think about it or try to do it. People are doing it all over the world. Okay. We even talked to some people in Canada about, you know, getting uh, shipped in some, because uh, I look up all the ports where containers are at. Where they ship, yes. So what it is, China uh, has a big tax on them now. And they used to return the empty containers, but now they just leave them here because it costs them more to bring them back. Yeah, that makes sense. So there's, uh, over, so I shouldn't be probably saying this to everybody, but it's an over surplus of shipping containers out there. And to me, it's the best and easiest way to uh, put people in housing very fast, Yeah, very inexpensive. You can turn it into anything you want, you know, just imagine it's already a room so just whatever you can do to a room you can do to that <laughs> um, uh, you know you got a 40 foot 20 footer you know um, make that a I, have office in the, I have an office and studio in the 20 footer man and i fit <laughs> like five seven people in there at a time yeah these things ain't small they're pretty big yeah yeah, they, you know, they, they do human trafficking in those things, man. Yeah, man, that's crazy. Not to make light of that, but you, you can but imagine how many people can really fit in a con container. You can fit a, every time I see one driving down the, the freeway, Yeah. now I'm like, that's a family home. Family home. <laughs> <laughs> family home. Like, give me that. <laughs> see. See, this is why I like when uh, hip-hop artists do things outside the music, too, because I'll keep it all the way buck. You are the first person to put me on that, too. I never knew of anything like that until I followed you. I was like, J-Roll on Instagram? Oh, I'm about to follow him, see what J-Roll do these days. Well, that, that's big, man. I mean, sometimes, you know, I was teaching hip-hop classes out in Sweden, and I learned a lot just from doing that, um, that... They're not coming for me. Oh, yeah, no, I wasn't just that, no. 
No, but um, you know, I learned a, a lot myself about some of these things. What, what is the question you asked me? Oh, uh, no, it wasn't really a question. I was just telling you, um, I'm glad this is why hip-hop artists do things outside the music, because you were the first person to ever put me onto those container homes, too. I was like, when I followed you on Instagram, I'm like, let me see what J.O. was doing those days. And I see you kept posting this. I'm like, yo. I mean, it's all, like you said, it's from a hip-hop mind. So I used to tell my students that, that, you know, me being a b-boy, being a hip-hop universal b-boy, that we always think of the future. Okay. We're, we're, we're like, living in the future all the time. Yeah, so, always thinking ahead. And I said, this is a way I can prove this to you. I said, when you go to a party, do you already know what's going to happen before you get there? Uh and some people are like artists or whatever, like, they, they're like, no. I said, I do. <laughs> I was going to say no. I already know what raps I'm going to say. I already know how people are going to respond to it. Okay. If I'm DJing, I'm like, oh, when I play this record, people are going to go crazy, and they do. So I've already predicted the future. Even a DJ just listening to the next record in his headphones, he already knows the future before the whole audience does, right? And that's the space that we live in. So bringing that mindset into the business world, I have a lot of people beat. Like, we have a lot of people beat just with that mindset because they don't have it. Because they're not really living that hip-hop lifestyle. I never they thought of it like that. They only know what's right in front of them. Like, show me, oh, I like it, oh, it feels nice. Let's, let's run with it. They don't have this vision of, I know what's about to happen. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I totally put that in into my uh, business ethics. And, yeah, it's, it's totally from hip-hop, like you said. Man, that's crazy, man. I never thought of it like that, man. And, they, and this is why I love hip-hop, man. It's a universal language, man, because it can like, connects everybody. I um, think we're about to get cut off, man. I want to say peace and thank you all right, for, my G. for that. But, uh, yeah, for sure. All right. And uh, once again, J-Roy, I want to say thank you again for doing this. You have a blessed Sunday, my G. From the desk below. Hip-hop. From the desk below. Another story is told. Welcome back from the desk below.